Welcome back to Twin Stock TV, The Peripheral. This week, we will be covering episode five of the new Amazon Prime sci-fi series. This is Beep. You can find me on Twitter at Beepsplain or Tumblr now, too, at Beepsplain. Maybe some other places. We'll see. And I am joined by Mick. And you can find me on the Twitters at MickNick1291 and the Tumblrs at the same name, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and on Mastodon with MickNick1291. But also it has some weird suffix at the end. And I don't remember what it is. So, like, good luck. <laughs> That one's weird. I joined like, what is it? Social circle or something? I don't know. I don't like any of them. It's all complicated. I don't like it. Anywho, this episode is called What About Bob? Which is a movie from the 90s that starred Bill Murray. And this episode stars Bob. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed, it does. Let's, Let's dive in so we can find out what his deal is. This is by far the cold open for this episode is the most epic cold open and gives us the most just delicious information. Yeah, Alita, we find out so much more about her, about what she's doing, about her motivations, what's going on. We find out so much in the in the cold open and then the rest of the episode is kind of like, eh, okay. <laughs> Comparatively. So we open in London, one year before Alita West's disappearance. Very uh, mysterious title card there. And we see that Grace is leaving R.I. She's leaving work. And Alita, like, physically runs into her very on purpose. And Grace is kind of like, holy shit, what are you doing here? And we know them thus far as like, oh, didn't you live with her for a year at some point? It's a bit more juicy. I just looked and said they were roommates. <laughs> well, so Alita, Grace is like, what are you doing? And Alita is like, oh, I was just saying hello. And Grace is like, um, so quick reminder, the last time I saw you was my first day at R.I., I tried to say hello to you, and you told me to fuck off, basically. And Alita literally goes, ass to the past. I say, let bygones be bygones. (laughs) And then Grace is like, when I came to work the next day, you had left a note on my desk that said, and I quote, if you ever fucking speak to me again, I will scratch your eyes out, you selfish, conniving bitch. Which is a great note to receive, honestly. Totally. But Alita is not going to say anything about that insofar as I'm sorry or let it go. She's like, no, I'm pretty sure I wrote the C word, aka cunt, instead of bitch, because pretty into alliteration. And Grace is just like, another missed opportunity. And just like, walks away. (laughs) (laughs) You know, just like roommates do. Well, so she turns to walk away. Alita kind of brings her back into the conversation and is like, oh, you want to grab a drink, catch up, you know, whatever. You know, let's pretend I didn't send you that note that told you I'll scratch your fucking eyes out, whatever. (laughs) And Grace is like, I'm married. And at that point, I was like, oh, so you two were like a thing. All right. I like it. Mm hmm. And Grace is like, I'm married. And Alita's like, oh, congratulations. And she goes, to a man. And Alita's just like, oh, no. 
And then Grace adds, with two kids, and Alita finds that fucking hilarious. She's like, was that contractual? (laughs) Well, I mean, as it goes on a little bit and you realize how freaking horrible Grace is, you can understand why any of that is, like, not good. Turns out Sweet Grace, who we felt bad about getting murdered by bees, is actually a hell beast. She absolutely deserved bee murder and more, to be frank. And as Alita is cackling, I'm going to say cackling at this point because I think it's applicable. Grace just storms off. And then Alita, the way that the actress, I don't know her name and I wish I did, who plays Alita, carries herself is so interesting to me and i also want to be best friends with alita she is one of those cool psychos (laughs) yeah she's like absolutely off her rocker completely buku batshit nonsense crazy cannot wait to hang out with her but i want to be her best friend absolutely (laughs) by the way her name is charlotte riley give her an award just for the looks that she serves, to be honest. The, the entire, like, affect that she's adopted for Alita's character, like, give her all of the awards. Because it's so just, it's, like, delicious. <laughs> I love it so much. Yeah, I haven't watched her in other stuff, but I'm for sure going to. But I get the impression that you won't recognize her. Because this is an extremely distinct character who's being played deliberately. Oh, 100%. I could totally see... Like, it would be so weird, though, this being our first experience with her, seeing her in another role. It's kind of like if you watch Darcy Carden in The Good Place, and then you went and watched A League of Their Own, and you're like, wait, what? Or either direction. You're like, that's the same person? E- either direction. Seeing, seeing like, that, those two opposites. I feel like if we saw her in anything, it, it would just be, like, a complete, like, mind fuck. I think the first thing we should go watch of hers is Weathering Heights. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I absolutely loathe that book. <laughs> oh, no. That's why I just said, oh, no, because yeah. I also cannot stand. <laughs> so back to the show that we're here to talk about. So Grace storms off until Alita goes, you broke my fucking heart. And Grace is like, oh, wait, I did do that, didn't I? Mm. I guess I can have a drink. She did do that. So we jump cut over to a bar where Billie Holiday's I'm a Fool to Want You plays. And it just, like, it was diegetic music, but it felt so painfully on point that I felt the need to point it out. It was not subtle. No, it was just like, let me punch you in the fucking face with this music. And Grace is having a red wine, and Alita seems to be having some whiskey with no ice, because she's a badass like that. And Grace wants Alita to get to the point and say what she wants to say so they can get this over with. And Alita wants an after-action review. And Grace is kind of like, you make it sound like our breakup was like a firefight. And Alita's like, yeah, and... Is that inaccurate by any means? <laughs> That's exactly what it was. Grace informs Alita that she saw an AI therapist after they fell apart. And Alita, like, finds that hilarious because she is insane. 
Also, AI therapist seems sketchy. Yeah, especially in the kind of arenas they're in. Like, that screams privacy issues to me. Yeah. Yeah. And the AI therapist determined that the reason they didn't work is because Alita is a bad good girl and Grace was a good bad girl. So meaning that on the surface, Alita is a bad girl, but deep down she has a ooey gooey sweet to the core center. Meanwhile, Grace comes off as good, but is actually like a fucking canker sore cavity, root canal needing bullshit on the inside. Can you tell I don't like Grace? I am beginning to wonder. Yeah. (laughs) No, she's horrible. She's truly a terrible person. I mean, so far she's been in the show for what like two minutes and now she gets five more and like to be able to make me hate someone that much in that amount of time is pretty epic it's truly impressive we're like oh this poor woman who knows alita got murdered by bees and then we get five minutes of her and we're like oh no bees weren't even bad enough they were literally not bad enough because she is awful you can tell she truly just like smashed alita's heart into the ground then stepped on it perhaps poured some kerosene set it on fire walked away and acts like it's nothing and like lit a cigarette as she walked away like looking cool and that's only the first thing she did we haven't even gotten to like the bad thing that she's done (laughs) right So Grace asks Alita about her dollhouses, which, ooh, ears perk up. We've seen this. And she says that her AI therapist thought the dollhouses were about Alita's need for control and order because she lacked that in her life. And Alita's like, did you pay money for that bullshit? (laughs) And she starts maneuvering Grace's body as she's talking about this. She explains how it's how she's like have you ever not been able to understand what a person's thinking or feeling and grace is like you mean empathy you fucking sociopath and it's like ha what is that don't throw stones at glass houses mm-hmm. or pot meat kettle yeah <laughs> and alita as she's maneuvering grace's body uh she's like moving her legs turning her body moving her arms tilting her head she's like it's about taking a tiny figure and shifting it about arranging how it's sitting, what it's looking at. It's like you have access to that being's inner life, and that can feel really priceless. So Alita is also insane. Yeah, a sociopath, I guess that sounds, let me tell you what it also is. She is a hopeless romantic. Yep. She wants to see and be seen, and that's what she wants from a person and it's what drives her and the best part of this scene then so alita has like repositioned grace like she were a doll and grace just turns that like he looks at alita and is like are you gonna kiss me and alita's like is that what you really want and then grace is just like oh i've missed you so much and i'm like your relationship must have been the most fucked up dynamic oh my goodness the way that it was twisted you you just know. you guys must have been like the fucking joker and harley quinn <laughs> exactly yeah instead of oil and water it's like acid and flames like yeah it's just, it's just like it's a big hot mess and then after grace is like oh i've missed you alita's just like well you should have treated me better and Grace is all thrown off and is like, what, an apology? Is that what you're looking for? 
and Alita doesn't want an apology. What she wants is deets on Grace's job. Yeah, she doesn't even want to be talking to her right now, I don't think. I think she's just pulling, like, a persona. Because she is, in fact, a sociopath. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think she, you know, she knows that she can manipulate her. Because whatever it was that happened to them, it definitely sounds like Grace left for some funky... Or whoever left, like, she didn't stop having feelings for her. She just, like, I don't know, bowed to some sort of pressure or went to live a different life or something. Well, they clearly still have the same extremely unhealthy dynamic. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the chemistry is a whole lab that's going on. Yeah. So Grace goes ahead and takes Alita to her RI office, which we have seen before. Grace explains the stub situation, and Alita is all baffled. She's like, they're actually real? Like, it's real people? It's real? It's not like a simulation, like they explain? And she's like, oh, that's what we're told to instruct the lower echelon types like you, you Oof. dumb bitch. <laughs> Like a little bit of commentary in that. <laughs> Sorry, the the you dumb bitch was was my that was the subtext that I was reading out loud. It was understood. <laughs> and so we've been in this place before. This is where Alita took Flynn in Burton's body after they had inserted some chick's eye into his her skull. <laughs> Correct. This show is really hard to explain sometimes. <laughs> sometimes, yeah, that's fair. So Grace is like, oh, are you ready to see it? Like the inner sanctum? And Alita's like, yeah, sure, sounds great. So Grace scans her eyeball. And Alita, you can see her really paying attention. She's like, okay, check, we need an eyeball. And then they enter the room with the green waterfall curtain that as you approach opens up for you and there's like an inverted pyramid that is also green and grace says that they call it the god font that's curious yes i i noted that because i was like what does that mean why somebody who understands linguistics more than us might be like this is super obvious but we're yeah the font part portion is and curious. from this doohickey grace can access anything not just from the stub but from the entirety of our eye and in the stub which is flynn's world presumably they have over eight thousand studies running and then grace gets really excited because she talks about the most exciting studies are being done by the behavioral mod department okay here's where i run into some questions so she starts explaining a little bit more about haptics and how this elite marine force is told that the enemy is using wounded animals to draw them out into the open obviously so they can shoot them but they have implanted something into the guys to change the neural activity in their brains so that they have more compassion. And she gets this idea of like, it could stop wars and it could stop fighting. And like, that's, you know, interesting in its own way. But oh my goodness, the way that you're pulling that off or trying to test it is absolutely mortifying. 
And we know this elite military unit as our boys. It's Burton, Connor, and all of the unnamed people whose names we should probably have figured out by now. Well, we got Reese and we got Leon and then other people. (laughs) The other ones that don't get screen time because budgets. We have important people and less important people. And what we see is there is, it's kind of like in the waterfall wall, a projection display. And we see Burton's crew in war. And there is a wounded pupper who is like barking and crying. And they all react differently. And we're like, well, obviously they would shoot the wounded dog if they have the intel saying they're going to use wounded animals. And Grace is like, oh, but we're fucking with their brains. Yay. Yay. And then she's like, it's so fascinating because each person, we're pumping the same shit into all of them, but based off of their life experience, they'll react differently. And unfortunately, we see sweet, sweet Connor run. He's the one who could not resist. He could not resist. He ran to save the dog. And gets blown up. And Alita is like, no, stop them. Stop it. No, you have to stop them. And Grace is like, oh, sweetie, it's already happened. It's it's long in the past. And I'm like, you fucking psycho. <laughs> Why would you even be showing someone this and be, like, proud of it? I mean, I guess you have to be that psycho to do it to start with. But... You know, like she said, they're telling other people it's Sims or whatever, so you can see why other people in the department might be working on it or or outside think it's a cool thing to do. But good God, like, it's just, that is next level evil. So here's where I have a question. And maybe it's because they don't know. Maybe it's a gap. Maybe I just misunderstood. But Wilf tells... Flynn, when he's first explaining the stub, that the stub is a timeline that has broken off because the future made contact with them. Right. But this stuff happened way before. This was years ago. Oh. So does that now a different stub? Do stubs create stubs? Oh, this is my jam. I love multiverse theory. (laughs) For sure, but it's like, okay, did it happen every time they did an experiment? Well, in theory, in theory, every single time you make a decision, you have created another universe. Right. So I decide to blow my nose. There's a universe where I decided not to. Right. For sure. But are we subscribing to that in this? I don't know. And that's what kind of has me tripped up because they're like, oh, because Wilf makes it seem like the moment that Alita interacted with Flynn thinking it was Burton, that created its own stub. Correct. So Flynn's world has offshot from where they were at. But based off of what Grace is saying, Flynn was already in a stub and offshot off of that stub. That's what it sounds like to me, because it's not like the stub was created and then now she's in that one. And no matter what changes they make, it stays that way. At least that's not what it seems like. Well, no. And I think that ultimately what we're going to get from this show is Flynn and company, because 
fingers crossed that we're going to get Connor and Burton some peripherals soon are going to be working in the future to gather intel to save their stub from following the 2100 future Mm -hmm. and prevent the jackpot. Yeah, and I mean, that theory is great, but it doesn't change 2100 at all. No, 2100 is fucked. I guess that's what Alita was saying, you know, back with Wilf at the very beginning when he told her, like, you always say that our world is beyond saving. And she's like, I'm not talking about our world. Well, yeah, I think based off of what we saw from Alita in this cold open so far, there's a little bit more to it, but and we'll get to it. But this is interesting. Based off of what we can see from Alita, while crazy fucking psychopaths like Grace don't view the people in the stubs as real people, views them as like a video game of uh, in essence, Alita views them. She's like, no, those are real people. You've created an offshoot of our reality and they're real people living their lives. And Alita seems to be really driven to save them from the same fate that befell her world. Mm-hmm. Here's another question. Why is 2100 the main timeline? It might not be. Yeah. And that's the thing that I really like about the show. And what I like about multiverse theory is that you always think that you're in the primary, like you're in the prime timeline. Mm-hmm. But you how the fuck do you know like that's super like egotistical to think that you are in the main timeline you don't know like 2100 for all we know could be a stub Mm -hmm. and then everything happening is a stub off of a stub off of a stub off of a stub and the main timeline might be where we are right now right but if you subscribe like fully to multiverse theory like there is no main timeline no there isn't it's just interesting to to think about if somebody caused what created 2100 to start with, like as an experiment. That is a really fun thought. Like what if 2100 was a reality created by the machinations of someone that was like, what if everything went wrong? Exactly. Exactly. What if we just had, like, every bad thing that we can think of happen? Like, what would humanity do? And is, like, watching it, like, grow in a Petri dish. Yeah, I just, the reason that this matters to me at all is because I'm trying to place Flynn and our boys, the unit, in the same full timeline. And this, to me, jacks that up. I think that's the point. Yeah. Like, I think you're not supposed to be able to place them. I mean, that's fair. I think that might actually be the point that if you think about it too much, like, wind yourself in circles. Exactly. You can't find a starting point. Well, and that's the thing. If you're thinking about, like, this this stub situation, so, like, 2100 interfered in the Fisher's timeline when... Burton was still was like a young adult and recruited him into the military after getting a military contract from their fake corporation to install haptics, which is 2100 tech. At that point, they've created the stub because Grace flat out said they have 8000 experiments going on in the stub. That's 8000 things they've jacked up in that timeline. So that's theoretically 8000 stubs. 
So as they're leaving the weird inverted pyramid waterfall room, Alita asks Grace if Sharice is planning on implementing this on people in their world, and if she already has. And Grace's response is just like proof that she's a psycho. It's haunting. Would you believe me if I said no? And it's like, (laughs) so yes, you crazy fucking bitch. Exactly. Yeah. Oh my god. She's so... I don't... Is it weird to say she's more psycho than Charisse? Like, there's just something... The thing is, Charisse is open about how she's an evil mastermind. And Grace is, like, trying to play like she's a nice person. Yeah. At the bar. I'm a good bad girl, and you're a bad good girl. Oof. That's just, it's horrible, because, I mean, it's like you said, it was the way that you said it was really good, that she's playing at it. Like, the whole thing is just a ruse, whereas, I mean, like you said, at least with Charisse, you you know what you're getting. She's fucking insane. She's absolutely insane and evil, and we love her. Grace, we fucking hate. We absolutely hate her. If for no other reason than she killed a fucking dog. Truly. I can't stand to see that on television way more than people, which I don't know what that says about me, but I'm the same way twinning always. So as <laughs> Alita and Grace are heading back towards the elevator, a security officer who looks slightly different, but seems also very familiar walks past them. And this is the chick from the pilot who Flynn seduced. She walks past them, takes about 10 steps, pauses, turns around and is like hold the fuck up who are you you're not authorized to be on this floor what the fuck are you doing here and alita is just kind of like i was not prepared for this level of aggression right now <laughs> and grace steps in and is like do you know who i am i'm important i met a friend downstairs brought her up because i forgot my jacket fuck off but also i'll never do it again <laughs> But also, like, I will not do this again because you scare me a little bit, but I'm also an evil bitch. So there's that. And then she's like, okay, fine. I won't file a report, but like, don't do it again. And she turns to walk away. And at this point, Alita stops the elevator from closing and is like, oh, by the way, I think that you have the most gorgeous eyes. And the security lady is like, I don't know what to do with that. (laughs) And Alita's like, I'd kill for eyes like that. And like exits back into the elevator. And I'm like, oh, thank you, my my psychotic queen. The foreshadowing. (laughs) I'm like, you already were putting together the pieces. You were already piecing it together how you were going to fuck this shit up not subtle she's not subtle and it's one of the things i love about her she has the subtlety of a hand grenade (laughs) she truly does and that's the cold open it took us a long time to get through it because it was fucking loaded it was an entire episode unto itself it really was it was and that's the most that we've learned about really how anything in this world functions especially with the timelines what they're actually doing there for as far as the people who, like we said, we think Alita is like literally and truly trying to save something and someone, but the way that these people have just been like dicking around in there and messing with people's lives, I mean, it's 
crazy. And to think how far it goes back and how many people we care about that it's affected before Flynn even ever got into that sim. I feel like Alita is kind of a personification of what is that? When you look into the abyss, the abyss looks into you. So when you're like looking at the monsters and like fighting the monsters, you yourself could become one yourself. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's kind of what Alita is personifying is it's a Nietzsche quote, but she is fighting against these powers that are greater than her. And they're fucking with it, with these people's lives in these stubs. And she is like, you guys are absolute monsters. You are pretending like these people are lab rats, but they're humans. They have emotions, but in order to help these people, she herself is having to become a monster. Like she murdered that security officer and yanked out her eyeball. Yeah, but she disrespected her once. <laughs> You're right. You're right. Bygones. <laughs> I feel like it evens out. Like you were rude to me on an elevator. I killed you. Whatever. Like we're square. Tit for tat. Even. Five by five. No big deal. Well, after we see the credits. Must we leave them? We must. Unfortunately. Ugh. I could watch an entire season of just those two interacting. Truly, just them going back and forth with each other. What is your favorite term? Shadow boxing. I mean. Yes, shadow boxing. <laughs> that, is, that is like the perfect descriptor for their relationship. They both have an angle. And it's so obvious they're both insane. Absolutely insane. In different ways that conflict. It's so good. I could watch an entire series that's just the two of them. Like, their relationship, I would love to see it. Oh, yeah. I'd love to go back pre this show and have a version of where it's Alita's story and not Flynn's. Oh. Not that I don't love. I want Flynn's story, but I also would love Season two, Alita's story. Yes. Here's a question I have right before we move on from Alita. This may be nothing. Maybe it was they already had him and they never changed it, whatever. But because they share the same adopted parents, how come her and Wolf have different last names? We can't answer that per se. It's just one of those things, you know, one of my little quirky things that I picked up on. It was like, wait, what? Perhaps it is the inherent bigotry and racism of their parents. Could be. Yeah, they gave it to her and not him. Because they like the worst. This world, the future seems horrible. It's full of terrible people. It truly does. Everybody we've seen from the future is like a horrible person. There's seven people and they're all categorically insane. <laughs> We got Sharice, we got Daniel, we got Grace, Alita, Wilf, Lev, Ash, and Ossian. That's eight people, and they're all fucked up. It's so bad, yeah. And now let's go meet another fucked up dude. Another fucked up dude! We're going to Key West in 2032! So Pete is our What About Bob guy. Pete is Bob. Pete is Bob. Comes to get a package at his door... He's got a cell phone. We got a sonic boom boom gun. He obviously doesn't know what that is, but picks it up and just kind of points it at the closet and finds out real quick. Of course, it was a closet full of glassware. Yes, he has like 
<laughs> Talk about the worst place to point that. He opens the closet door and all of the shattered glass falls and his face is just like, fuck. I mean, it was a good representation to show us, though, because to see how far that spreads. It's, it's not like a localized, like, exactly aim. It's it like a sonic boom. It originates from one place and it expands outward. Exactly. It took that whole closet out. And so far, we have seen, for the most part, Flynn getting shot with it, like, at close ranges. Yeah, like point blank. Yeah, exactly. Like holding it up against her like a stapler or a nail gun. So it's interesting to to see from that point of view exactly how far it spread out when it was several feet away. And I mean, it just decimated that entire closet. So Pete, aka Bob, as soon as he opens up his closet door and sees all of the broken glass, his futuristic cell phone rings. And he answers it, and guess who it is? It's motherfucking Daniel. Oh, Daniel. And he is like Robert O'Connell, and he's like, no, this is Pete whatever the fuck. Who are you? <laughs> and as soon as he hears his like real name, he drops the phone, and he runs to his burn bag. And he start, He has a bag full of cash and passports. Various passports, a lot of cash. Mm-hmm. And he starts trying to pick one out, and that's when his real cell phone rings and he's like son of a bitch and he answers it and daniel informs him that he has been hired to kill some people and that 2.5 million dollars has been wired to his account and 7.5 million are on the way as soon as the job is done oh and by the way if you don't do it we're gonna kill your daughter yeah this is not the very smartest retired killer because he has left a trail in some way or another that connects him to something that can be used as leverage. And that is his daughter. So he will be coming out of retirement, going on a little, uh, little trip, a little, little murder spree, a little, little crime, a little uh, homicide. No big deal. Just the day that ends in Y for Bob. And then we quickly cut to Flynn in a CT scan machine. And as she is preparing to get her CT scan, she starts flashing back to the trauma of learning about the jackpot. Yeah. And the way that she was actually caught in that fourth monument. I mean, yeah, it was traumatic for her. And that is an entire scene. It lasts about 30 seconds. (laughs) Yeah, and here it just lets us know we've got somebody who, who is developing PTSD. A, a, little, a little fucked up from the, from learning that. She wanted to know so badly, and they're like, all right, be careful what you wish for. Now, then we cut to, and I'm not sure that I think this time in the episode was well utilized. Neither do I. I feel like we're getting to know Bob too well. Unless Bob comes back back which i doubt he could yeah as far as in this episode i found it very strange how much time we're taking on what seems like a rando like we're getting a lot of bob backstory exactly plot development and he's just an assassin for hire because we cut to a bowling alley where there is a sad gang of burnt out losers bowling one of them is named Frank, and he gets a strike, 
And all of his little gang of burnt out losers are like, yeah, Frank, you got to strike. This is amazing. And then Frank notices Bob sitting at the bar of the bowling alley. And he approaches. This is a super strange dynamic. You can tell there's a lot of history here. Yeah. So what happens is that they have like a little bit of like small talk and they're like, didn't think I'd see you here. Thought you'd pop up, but not here type nonsense. And Bob is like, I would have let it, let it go. But you brought my daughter into this. And Frank is like, look, the voice on the phone said that it was you or me. And I'm not proud of who I am and what I've become, but this is what I am. Now, were his, I got the impression his little lackeys were his sons. I think, I think on my, on my second, okay, honestly, third watch, I I did get the impression that they were his sons as well. So Bob just goes ahead and kills everybody in the scene, basically. Well, so Bob headshots Frank and two of his three sons and he gut shots one of them. And then the bartender, Janet, pulls out a shotgun and tries to shoot Bob, but has the worst aim. I mean, I feel like a shotgun has a big spread, but she somehow shoots her bar and not Bob. (laughs) (laughs) And so Bob just shoots her twice in the fucking face. Because why not? Because he's Bob and that's what he does. And so he's covered in blood splatter. And he just walks out calmly from the bowling alley and goes to his car. And he sits down in the driver's seat, unloads his empty clip, reaches into his glove box that does not have vehicle registration or insurance information. It just has two extra clips. Only the important stuff for Bob. None of the legal stuff, just the ammo. And he's putting that in when the son that he gut shot lumbers out of the bowling alley with a shotgun and shoots the side of Bob's car. And Bob is just like sighs heavily and is like, son of a bitch. All right, fine. So he grabs the sonic boom boom gun and hits the deck on the far side of the car, on the driver's side of the car. Shoots the son in the legs, and then as he falls to the ground, shoots him again and breaks his one arm. And this guy is completely incapacitated. He walks up and is like, "You should have just played dead. You would have survived. I would have. I would have honored that for your father. But instead, what we're gonna do is I'm gonna go to my car and I'm gonna try to start it. And you have as long as it takes me to start that car to crawl out of the way. Otherwise, I'm running your ass over. And he's and the guy's like, I can't feel my legs. And he's like, yeah, your arm doesn't look great either. Good luck, fucker. <laughs> and then just completely smashes him. And then starts the car after like two tries and just runs that motherfucker over. I feel like we have been positive enough for long enough that i can get irritated at a few things i think we've earned that right i think so i think that several things going on in this episode were just a misstep and i really do feel like the the whole part outside with the sun coming back and stuff just it felt like filler it was unnecessary It's like they were trying to prove to us that Bob is a ruthless killer. Right. 
Daniel was like, oh, when you were 18, you murdered like three people in cold blood. And then like you were Bob the Butcher and you did this, this and this. And I'm like, I think that was enough information for us to get the picture. Exactly. I feel like it just keeps happening over and over. And I don't know, maybe this guy will show back up. But so far, the way that he's been introduced, he seems like a super side character. So for them to spend this much time, even though, you know, obviously the episodes are longer, the seasons are shorter. Okay. We're, we're now past the halfway mark. And I feel like we spent half an episode on this guy that I don't even know why he matters or if he matters. Just think we could have had Alita and Grace for like 20 more minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Why can't Daniel just call someone else? Yeah, I thought that everything related to Bob outside of what happens directly with the Fishers was a waste of time. Now, I don't know if they're paying homage to somebody from the book, because neither of us have read the book. And maybe for fans of the book, we're like, they're like, oh, Bob! Yeah, Bob! So if you are a reader of the book, books, plural... Let us know if this is truly a waste of time or if this is some sort of nod to you all. Yeah, so far it's definitely not for us. <laughs> it's it's definitely not for us because I was sitting there and I'm like, why do I give two shits about this assassin? Right, and the answer is I don't. Yeah, truly. Because at least when they were doing this with Corbell, I mean, he is a huge part in the whole narrative. You know, it made sense. But to pull somebody in from the outside and to treat them like anything else besides a nameless assassin who Daniel's hiring. It seems I'm very interested to see if it goes anywhere only for the sake of knowing that there was a point to it, not because I care. Well, I feel like the way that Bob's arc ends in this episode, they leave the door open for him to return in some fashion. Um, And I hope that he does because the way that it ends seems like if he doesn't come back they wasted half an episode right of an eight episode season and we might be proven wrong like maybe he does come back and it is a huge thing yeah and he's a big deal and this is all great and they properly laid the groundwork but right now with no spoilers in advance and what we know i'm not feeling bob yeah so All of the Bob aside, we're going to get back to Bob in a second. We cut to Billy Ann waking up to her alarm and going through her morning routine. And the only comment I have in her morning routine is toothpaste gum. Yeah, instead of brushing her teeth, she just pops in a piece of toothpaste gum. wonder if that's something we can look forward to. Does that exist? Are we like stupid and we don't know this exists? Or is this a future thing? I don't know. It's 2032, man. Maybe we're going to get it soon. We're going to get some toothpaste gum? Fuck yeah. (laughs) I'll take it. Also, I just want to state up front, because this was something that bothered me throughout the entire episode. And as you think about it, Beep, like, just, I will point it out every time this happens. Billy Ann, every time she hits the brakes, she turns off her car. (laughs) (laughs) That bitch starts her car so many times in this episode. I'm like, why didn't you just put it in park for a minute? I love her so much. But yeah, so 
I just had to throw that out there up front because I'm going to point out every time that she starts her car. Please do. I need to know. Let's keep a running tally. She's doing her morning routine, which includes collecting all the laundry that Jasper, her slob of a husband, just throws wherever. And inside of a jacket pocket, she finds that wad of cash that Corbell gifted to Jasper with the strings attached that he finds out what the fishers are up to. So this is interesting to me because she could totally spar with Corbell if she wanted to, because she asks the exact same thing that he brought up to Jasper. Like, okay, well, what are the strings? You know, and it, when Corbell was like, oh, you took it. So now you got to do the thing. Like you should have always asked what somebody wants in return. And like Billy Ann is thinking along those exact same lines, especially because of, you know, who it's from. Cause Jasper's like, he just said I was doing a really good job and he was grateful for me. And it's like, Mm. well no my no. favorite part is she's like what does he want in return did you ask him what he wants and he's like of course i did i'm not an idiot and i'm like wah wah he definitely did not and he definitely is so yeah she ends up agreeing to keep it though because i mean they don't have very much and she trusts jasper with what he said which was which was a questionable decision on her part that is true she definitely has a little bit of a blind spot when it comes to him, I think. She seemingly loves him for reasons. Yeah, reasons. You know how it is. After Billy Ann agrees to keep the money, Jasper kind of sighs on the bed like, fuck, I just lied to my wife. And then we cut to Dee Dee's clinic where Dee Dee is preparing to give Flynn a, what's it called? Lumbar puncture. Oof. Which sounds absolutely horrible. As I understand, those are exceedingly painful. Yes, because they're stabbing a needle into your spine. Sure. Which is where your entire nervous system runs through. So Flynn has a bacterial infection that is like meningitis, but in her occipital lobe, which controls seeing and stuff. Correct. And it's nowhere else. It's very concentrated. So they're doing this lumbar puncture to gather spinal fluid to identify what bacteria is attacking her eyeball part of her brain. Yeah, and we definitely for sure believe that's all it is and nothing more. It's like little fucking futuristic microbots. Probably. Speaking of which, total aside, I actually read a couple things the other day about the book and I feel like I want to say this one thing because it's questions that we've had and people specifically pointed out that they would think it would be very unclear to people who have not read the book. So spoiler alert I guess although not really because it wasn't explained. The future apparently has these nanobots that are called assemblers and they would have been integral in Charisse dropping the floor out, in Charisse turning Lev's teacup into a lemon that was just left sitting there. These things that we see happen that we've been curious about apparently link back to nanobots that are assemblers. And the other thing somebody pointed out was that they keep saying the word neoprim and nobody has explained what that is. 
Yeah, that happened in this episode. And I was like, still don't know. Yeah. And it's so it's basically like short for primitive. So it's people who, after the jackpot happened, basically shunned technology and didn't want anything to do with all this like weird stuff they're doing. So now we know. I felt like those were kind of a couple spoilers that were actually super helpful and maybe spoilers bookwise, but I don't know that we're going to get explanations really about either one of those things, but especially this the assemblers. You know, we're like, what is that chick like magic? Well, that like that's like I was saying in the previous episode where I'm like is this a reality or is this a simulation? Because she has some sort of superpowers. Exactly. No, apparently it's nanobots. Okay, cool. It'd be great if the show would explain that. Sure. Let me go back to another aside where yes. I'm going to get <laughs> squealy for a moment, a little feelsy. Because even though it's terribly inappropriate, I know, because they're not related. I this is my my point where I ship Flynn and Burton so bad. <laughs> She's like, you can hold his hand, I won't judge you. And I'm like, I won't either. <laughs> Wait, they're not related? I meant the actors. <laughs> oh, I was like, they're brother and sister. No, it's totally inappropriate <laughs> show-wise. But just acting chemistry-wise, I was like, yes, I'm not gonna judge you either. That, that's it. Okay, fair, fair, fair. You had to put that out into the ether. I did. I have lots of ships in this show. And, I mean, essentially, it's Flynn with everybody. <laughs> but I ship myself with Alita. <laughs> I mean, I kind of did as soon as I saw her, too. I'm like, oh, my God, Mick is going to love her. <laughs> <laughs> she's, like my, she's like my soulmate, but fictional. If you can find a way into the show and she's still alive, I will ship you guys too. I'm like I'm just like this weird background character that just like appears and is just like <laughs> attached to Alita at all times. So she's doing her evil machinations. I mean, I don't see why not. Sharice has Daniel. You can be a lackey. Oh, I would love to be Alita's lackey. <laughs> I say go for it. Have aspirations. I have aspirations to be a fictional character's lackey. <laughs> Let me live my life. But I guess we have to go to a bridge for now. Yeah, we got we got to go to a bridge where Bob pulls up in his car that the side has been blown open by a shotgun. And he steps out and he calls his daughter and he pr pretends to be an insurance company that is discontinuing his daughter's coverage. And she's like, Dad? Yeah. <laughs> not a great cover. She's not good at the cover thing. And he really sticks to it. And he's like, and she's like, we were hoping to continue our coverage with this fake company that you're talking about. And he's like, unfortunately, you might be going out of business. And she's like, oh, fuck, you're dying. Yeah. She's like, I'm pregnant. <laughs> and he's like, oh, fuck, she's pregnant. Oh, well, good luck with that. I got to go by. <laughs> exactly. And then he pops the hood. Uh, as you can tell, we don't care that much about Bob. He pops the hood of his car and he puts the sonic boom boom gun into it. And he just waits on the side of the road for the fishers to come. But we cut to Billy Ann leaving the house and driving down the road and crossing the bridge and seeing somebody in distress. 
So what does our best gal, Billy Ann, do? She stops and offers to fix his car for him. Because this is North Carolina. (laughs) And she's like, oh, who'd you call? Did you call Charlie? Charlie's going to charge you a lot. I could probably fix this. I have a bit of a rivalry with Charlie. I'm going to fix your car for you. And he's like, no, I'd rather wait. Please leave, lady. Please leave. And so she... (laughs) She's like, all right, fine. You wouldn't be saying this because I'm a woman. You don't think I can fix a car? He's like, I would never. So <laughs> she starts to drive away. And then, like, she gets, like, 30 feet away and is like, no, no. My ego cannot take this blow today. She actually has some boundary issues in this scene. <laughs> she's she's being super aggressive and just, like, not listening to this man at all. No, not at all. (laughs) But I do love that she has a town nemesis. Yeah, she has her town nemesis, Charlie the Mechanic. Because it's so random, right, that she would have one at all. And then who it is is also, like, how did that start? I don't know, but I love it. I'm guessing high school. That's fair. I feel like that's just the, the root of all drama in this town is high school. But yeah, so she, she, <laughs> my favorite part is that she stops her car. She's like in the right lane as she should be, stops her car, backs up to be level with Bob's car, but drives up onto the sidewalk. Oh yeah. Yeah. In a real show of grace. And gets out and is like, look, I can totally fix your car. Like I really want to do it. And thank fuck because Bob is like, oh my God, I don't know how to get rid of this chick. The Fishers drive up and Burton is in like a cheery mood. His sister just got a lumbar puncture. He is like flying high right now. Can we please talk about this Jeep that he didn't buy and definitely only rented? (laughs) Yeah, because I was very concerned about what's going to happen. That security deposit, gone. (laughs) Gone. The insurance not covering what happens to this Jeep. That was that was a thought I had when I was watching. I was like, man, I hope you really actually just bought it. I was thinking that exact thing. I'm like, first of all, I did not believe that he just rented that. But oh, my God, now I definitely hope he did not because... This is a disaster. (laughs) Because Burton has some friendly banter with Billy Ann about bothering this poor man. And he's like, oh, you know, I was just, he walks to the hood of his car, grabs the sonic boom boom gun. And he's like, oh, I was just telling her that I'm just going to wait for the mechanic. And he, and Flynn spots this sonic bullshit in his hand and is like, Burton, shoot him. Shoot him right now. As he's bantering with Billy Ann and he's like, what? She's like, shoot him right now fucking now that was a little unflynn like <laughs> she was like no i think she has some ptsd from these sonic yeah. guns she didn't even try to explain herself she's like shoot him now <laughs> just fucking murder this man in cold blood right now we won't be able to explain it it doesn't matter kill him Mm-hmm. and burton's like i don't understand she's like duck as he sonic booms all the glass out of their window and billy ann is like uh what (laughs) so burton hits the gas on the car to get away from bob and he manages to run into the side of the bridge and pin flynn into the passenger side of the vehicle he gets out and starts shooting bob but Bob's got a bulletproof vest on. Burton's aim, much better than a stormtrooper. 
Yeah. Why do you just keep shooting someone in the same place if it's not? I would have aimed for the head. Yeah. Or at some point anywhere because he just keeps unloading. The dick, like the leg, like literally anything else. He's like, this is the biggest part, the torso. I'm really good at hitting the biggest target. Anything else and I'm shit. Yeah, and that's when he's like standing right over him. Yeah, so again, just, I don't know. I'm in a mood, so I'm a little nitpicky over everything. Because ultimately the whole answer to that is like Bob had to survive. Bob had to survive because we needed a scene later. Yeah. And then puts the car in reverse and goes backwards and tries to hit Bob with the car. Bob dives out of the way. Flynn unpins herself. Burton is running with the car. Hands her a knife to cut herself out of the seatbelt that for some reason won't release, which seems like a fucking death trap of a Jeep. And as he's about to shoot Flynn, it's like it's a really tense moment. We keep cutting back between Bob and Flynn and Burton. Bob, Flynn, and Burton, and then fucking Billy Ann with a shotgun on the bridge. Great clue reference, first of all. She showed up that day, and being a mechanic is not all she's good at. She pulled that gun right down and just took care of business. Yeah, she uh, shoots him. Well, she's like, I'm really good with a shotgun, too. (laughs) And he turns the gun on her, and she's like, I literally don't have time for you. And so she shoots him with the shotgun right in the chest. And he flies back. And I really want to see the behind the scenes of how they did this. Like, was he on, like, a pulley system where they yanked him back? Like, I want to see it. Mm Mm-hmm. Probably. I just, I want to see the raw footage of him, like, flying backwards onto, like, a landing pad thing. Just for me, show, could you please give that to me? (laughs) And then then he is, like, on the ground and he, like, springs up after, like, a 10-second, like, all right, I'm good. And he, like, comes back up with the gun and she's just like, I'm going to shoot you again, motherfucker. And usually I thought that shotguns had two in the chamber. Depends on the kind of gun. Okay. Because she she shoots him again and, and reloads, like, I don't know what it's called when you go cha-chink with the gun. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. I mean, it's called cocking, but, you know, you do you. So she cocks the gun again. I know nothing about guns. It's clear. And she's like, next was in the head. <laughs> and at this point, he's kind of gives up and Burton comes around. Flynn cuts herself out. And that is the end of our bridge altercation, which actually was a really fun scene. It was. And the problem now, though, is they have a loose end. Our crew would have been much better off. If Billy Ann did go for the head, like that guy needs to be dead. He is now, he's Chekhov's Bob. Chekhov's Bob. There's no telling like how he can mess things up for them. And he shortly proves that. But we come back to Tommy in his little, little uniform on the bridge talking to Burton. Billy Ann is separated from them and sitting on the hood of the Jeep. And Flynn is over on the side of the bridge. And Tommy finishes talking to Burton and comes over to Flynn. And she's like, isn't this what you do with suspects? You separate them, make sure they got their story straight. And he's like, that's also what we do to witnesses. And she's like, what about victims? Mm. Well played. Well played. You win that round. Now she acts like she has no idea what that gun was. Yeah, he's like, he's like, do you know what this is? Like, what would she tell him? Oh, yeah, I travel to the future and they use those all the time. You know how that is. 
So you have other people, though. This shows a direct interference because this isn't just contact. This is items. They've sent stuff back or, you know, made it here, whatever they've been doing. There's actual physical items from the future. And we haven't seen that yet. I think that's proof that Sharice is getting kind of desperate to murder them. Yeah, that makes sense. Because they're leaving them open to some sort of exposure. Theoretically, what happens if all of the people in the stub realize that they're in an alternate timeline? I cannot imagine that would go well. But also, like, they just wouldn't believe it. Yeah, that's true. People are stupid. I mean, when it's just an item like that, it's not like they sit around and watch sci-fi. I mean, we would know immediately. We'd be like, oh shit, we're in an alternate timeline. Oh, fuck, we're not. We're God not- damn it, we're in a stub. <laughs> Fucking hell. We're not the main. Sorry, guys. <laughs> we are not the main. We are not the protagonists of this story. Fuck. <laughs> so apparently, though, what they did do was keep Homeland Security off their asses. It's it's funny to me, and I guess it's just the way that it's gone forward, you know, for whatever reason in, in this future, meaning ours in 2032, everything is about Homeland Security. <laughs> yeah, if somebody dies, Homeland Security is like showing up. But that's the same thing that Corbell was worried about, that he was getting entrapped by homeland security so apparently homeland security has really gotten nosy and like overtly nosy not like stealth nosy like they currently are didn't flynn also ask if homeland security tracked every withdrawal from the bank in the pilot yep so yeah i mean they've got a lot of things going on now it sounds like a lot of agencies merged it seems like Homeland Security today, except that they're more just open about what they do. Fair. So Tommy's never going to stop asking if they're okay, though. And Flynn's like, We're, we haven't been doing anything. We don't know why this guy's coming after us. And then he gives a whole speech that is too much and makes me so sad. It makes me sad for the way that Flynn responds, because... It's so not like her. It's everything she wanted to hear for years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's like, I remember the first time I met you, and like you were in like third grade, and this <laughs> she stole all the earthworms from the science lab because she didn't want the fifth graders to dissect them. So- and then he goes into this whole thing about how people are like onions, and like life adds layers. As the more you live, the more layers you get, but. That little girl who saved the earthworms is still in there at the core of the Flynn onion. And he can't help but want to protect her. And Flynn is like, literally everything I've wanted to hear from you since I was fucking a child. But I can't do that because now there's like consequences. So I'm just going to say, I'm sorry, Tommy, and walk away. Yeah, I gotta go. And there's so many reasons for that. You know, it's... One, I'm sure she is just scared of the idea of it at all. Two, there's obviously another person in play because he's engaged. Three, what they actually have going on (laughs) with the whole future and stuff. So there's so many reasons that she can't respond to him the way that we know that she usually does and wants to with people that she cares about. 
So I hate that for her, that she's just in such a place she can't say anything. Well, this is the, one of the few instances we've seen where Flynn doesn't just talk. Exactly. She doesn't open up at all. And that situation and with him is too big, which is just sad because that was the first time really that she'd had an opportunity to speak with him outside of Burton. And I feel like she's already been wanting to tell him. And I feel like there was just too much going on with how she feels about him mixed into that, that she just couldn't say anything. Well, I think that she also had Burton in the back of her mind being like, you're too attached to this. Yeah, for sure. And knowing that that was the truth. So Billy Ann cranks that truck again. She turns that truck on again Granted, okay, on the bridge, we're gonna we're gonna flash back for a second. Instead of like just hitting the brakes and asking Bob if he needed help, she turns off the truck, and then when she goes to drive away, she turns the truck on again. Because of course, why not? Because that chick doesn't understand that there's a park setting on your car. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have to turn it off. You don't have to crank that engine again. Man, she must fly through cars because every time she's at a stoplight, she must turn it off and turn it back on. (laughs) This ride is very uncomfortable. So awkward. And Burton just comes out right, basically says to her what he's been saying to Flynn, which, I mean, I respect that, that at least he's being completely forthright. But he's like, we know who your husband is and we know who his uncle is. So I don't really have anything to say to you. Well, he won. I think something interesting that happens is Billy Ann checks in with Flynn and is like, how you doing, baby girl? Like, what's going on? And she's like, I just, you know, I don't know how to deal with this. And Burton is flat out like, can't focus on the past. We got to keep our eyes on the future. Don't think about what happened. Just think about what we're going to do. And I'm like, I think a little bit of introspection on almost getting murdered is warranted in this situation. It could be okay. Yeah. I think a little processing might be in order. Kind of walk through that for a hot minute. Now, this is when I did notice the turning off and the cranky again, because I was like, why did she turn off her car just to let them out? She does it so many times. <laughs> it bothered me the entire episode. I'm like, Billy Ann, don't turn the car off. So then we get home and we go to the fridge. And by the fridge, I mean mama. <laughs> because we thought that mom had got fridged and kind of just shooed away. She was healed and that was what we needed from her. But now she's back and doing exactly what we said she was going to do last episode if she came into this fold at all. In my notes, I have named this scene Mama's Gonna Mom. That's basically all it is. And it's exactly what we said on our podcast for episode four of like what she would do if she were still the character in the show. Yeah, because they arrive home and Burton pulls out a beer and they're like chatting. And then Flynn's like, wait where's mama and they run around guns drawn trying to find her because they think someone's killed her nope she's just discovered the 12 bodies in the backyard Oof. so then they tell her everything and i mean essentially she has no choice but to believe it at that point especially with the healing i mean she's the one who went through it well and what i love about her is she's not like you guys are completely crazy she's like all right i need a second to wrap my head around the future nonsense Mm -hmm. but Let's assess what I can assess at this time, because I need some time for the other stuff. And she's like, one, what happens if I stop taking these drugs? You are beholden to these people for drugs. 
And our family, like, how did, how, why do your cousins have to go live in Ohio? Because our uncle lost the farm to the bank. And their family has a big thing about owing people anything. And what I love about Mama, because she doesn't have a name. <laughs> no. Is that she makes the point where she's like, look, I don't understand all of the shit that you all am doing. Like, one, you're giving Corbell Pickett a fuck ton of money that you're printing illegally. Side note. We have these drugs from these people that we don't understand. She's like, from where I'm sitting, you don't have a lot of leverage. Mm -hmm. And I just learned about all this. So just imagine how little leverage it looks like you have to these people. Right. This is not a partnership. No, you are beholden to these people and they are giving you things so that you are more in debt to them and more inclined to help them. This is, she's very much viewing it as a uh, Corbell and Jasper situation. Like, look what they've given you. What in the world do you think they're going to want back? Well, I think that's a really good way to look at it, mm -hmm. honestly, because everything that we've seen from 2100, everything in that world, granted, we've only met eight people and they're all psychopaths. <laughs> everything is so transactional and mama's like you're not viewing this as transactional but like if you did you would see that you're like in deep yeah and you you have no cards to play here like you have no leverage they can just stop sending medication and i could die yeah and flynn did not want to hear this anymore so flynn bebops out of the out of the house <laughs> and obviously burton chases after her and is like oh we don't even know if that headset's safe but she's like what you think it's safe here with just waiting for the next people to come and try and kill us yeah fair point well made flynn yeah i mean what else are they supposed to do they now have active assassins who are complete outsiders coming still to kill them so what are they supposed to do besides attempt to get help from these people in the future which sends flynn back to wilf and this is interesting. <laughs> this is actually, I thought, one of the more interesting scenes in the episode for one primary reason that we'll get to. Flynn enters the headset and Ash sends Wilf a warning. She's like, oh, the pulse have hacked the peripheral again. And like, do you want us to cut the connection? And he's like, no, it's Flynn. Yeah, it's fine. Let her in. And Wilf starts the conversation. She's like, oh, it's a pleasant surprise. And she's like, no, Wilf, it's fucking not. <laughs> and she's like, you didn't warn us that someone was out to kill them. And that was what you were supposed to do for us. So, like, what the fuck are we doing? Well, so much for your living in the future wisdom bullshit. Like, you didn't warn us that somebody was trying to kill us. And now there's a huge mess. The sheriff's department is involved. Like, it is just a hot fucking mess. And now, though, you have very obviously two parties that play so you have the people that are trying to help her from the future but you also have the future people trying to send back the assassins so they wouldn't necessarily have known about that right because it didn't happen before you know it's not something that they would have been aware of bob seemed like he was pretty well hidden in general besides his daughter so at this point it is very much so much for the future wisdom bullshit because I think now that the further this goes on, the less intel they have. Well, I think that part of the reason 
that Sharice's side knows the Corbell thing didn't work was because they accessed somebody known. Mm-hmm. And they were able to mitigate that plot. So they had to go outside where it wasn't viewable by Team 2100, Pro Burton, and Flynn. Right. No, I agree. So Wilf is like, is everyone okay? And Flynn's just like, this is a hot mess. And then Flynn does something we have not seen happen yet. She opens up and talks to Wilf like she has talked to Burton, to Mama, to Billy Ann, to everybody that she trusts. It's a perfect thing for her to do right now. I mean, it's extremely brave of her to do. But I think that part of the conversation she just had with Mama like sunk in a little bit. Like, wait a minute. I don't have any leverage. Are these people just like blatantly using me and don't care about me at all? And when that added on to the fact that she asked him about the merge, because we've seen that's like the funkiest thing he did without bothering to tell her what it felt like because she's never been trained into how to navigate that. And she asked him, she's like, did you merge with me so that I would develop feelings for you? And Wilf's response is very telling because he doesn't call her Flynn. He goes, Miss Fisher, I don't know what you're talking about. He tries to distance himself from Flynn and create a barrier because I genuinely think that he didn't realize. And then Flynn turns to him and she's like, Wilf, I'm starting to trust you. Is that a mistake? And like, she is open, honest, like full force, the Flynn that we have come to know and love. Oh, I love it. I just love it when she talks. You know how happy that makes me. And he responds, no a little shaky and then he comes back and he's like no very firm and confident in his answer that no it is not a mistake that you trust me and i believe him and that scares me a little bit i want to believe him i think ultimately that wilf is good i think he might be in positions right now where it's almost like he's turned himself off you know like he's just doing this job He doesn't necessarily have an ulterior motive. I think his true motive is getting his sister back. But I think he doesn't have ulterior motives outside of that. And I think that he is just a pawn in a much bigger game that he doesn't fully understand. Exactly. That Lev and Sharice are playing. And his entire deal is, I want Alita back, but I've also come to care about this person from the past slash a stub exactly and he knows that that can't be a thing it no it literally can't there's not a chance (laughs) right which is the good point that you made too though that him trying to distance himself from it that was the impression that i got it was like oh crap no i didn't do it on purpose like i actually kind of have feelings for you too you know what miss fisher (laughs) yeah she's like oh abort abort hit the big red abort button yeah but before we get back to wilf and flynn which is the juicy part of the episode we have to go to tommy and bob we knew it was gonna happen That Tommy was going to somehow be involved and it was not going to go well for him. No. I didn't expect it to happen this quickly and I didn't expect it to be this bad right out of the gate. So Bob 
starts just rambling at Tommy about, don't you want to know who hired me? Don't you want to know this? Don't you want to know that? They paid me $2.5 million. That's important. I genuinely don't care about this, the Bob plot line, so I'm just going to blow through it. That's fine. And he's like, I can give you $2.5 million if you just let me go. I'll, I'll wire you the money. It's going to be great. You'll be rich. You don't have to be a cop anymore, blah, blah, blah. And then, wham! Invisible car smashes into Tommy's cruiser. Flips him. Flips him. And Tommy is stuck in the driver's seat. And somebody with boots and pants on (laughs) comes around and drags Bob out. I saw the official uh, peripheral watch party Twitter account was like, Mm -hmm. whose boots are those? And I'm like... I'm not going to put any thought into this. <laughs> Chekhov's boots. <laughs> Chekhov's boots. And drags Bob out, puts him in the car that is invisible, and they drive off. As Tommy crawls out all bloody and looking worse for wear out of his flipped over cruiser, he looks and he hears the car driving away, but he can't see anything. Which hopefully, fingers crossed, Tommy is smart enough. To have put together, I've already seen this stealth tech. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't question that at all. What we do get out of that, though, is we have to generally question what's going on because obviously Bob didn't navigate that situation and make that occur. So, who is interested in Bob? My question is: Has twenty one hundred found a way to? pull themselves into 2032. Ooh. Because that would be fucking dope. And I would think it would be far more damaging than someone trying to go into a peripheral because now we've got like dual consciousness. It would be amazing. I don't know if I don't, I genuinely don't know where the show goes from here. I didn't even watch the preview for the next episode, so I have absolutely no clue. But it would be really cool if 2100 was like, let's send somebody back. Yeah, no, I like the idea of that. Even if it's not right now, I like the idea of that happening somehow. So that's all we're doing in 2032 for this episode. We're going to go back to 2100 and the shit's going to get real (laughs) in the best way. I know that the the opening and closing of this episode are by far, like, the best part. We could have cut out the entire middle and just had this, and it would have been the best episode of TV ever. All you want is Alita and Grace and then Flynn and Sharice after, of course, Flynn and Wilf. These are the uh, dynamics that are fire emoji in this episode. Oh, it's so good. We cut to a cafe that is outside of R.I., where Wilf is questioning his decision to bring Flynn near R.I., and he wonders what she hopes to achieve by going in there. And Flynn just wants Charisse to know what it feels like to be hunted, because Flynn is out for blood, and I love it. Yeah, she is quite done with being fucked with. Um. And she's like, do you think I can't handle Sharice? And Wolf is like, oh, I have no doubt that you can fuck up Sharice, but I'm concerned about the after. Because mm-hmm. there's a difference between being attacked and defending yourself and being the assailant. And Flynn is like, what do you know about that? You're just sitting in corners watching people all the time. And he's like, did I ever tell you how I met Lev? And she nods no. And he's like, well... My parents sent me to boarding school where I met him. 
And when we were there, there was a bunch of people who were against the way society was turning out. And Flynn is like, oh, neoprims. And I'm like, how the fuck do you know that term? (laughs) Well, now you do too. They attacked the school to send the parents a message. And Wilf admits that the neoprims were having the students himself specifically serve them food. And they didn't realize that he had slipped a steak knife off of one of their trays and he slit the throat of the leader and then shot the rest of them in cold blood. And Flynn is like, well, that was just self-defense. And Wilf is like, even self-defense can be cold blooded. Yeah, because sometimes it kind of reminds me of Connor. (laughs) You know, when he killed the people during the siege it just so happened that they were like attacking everybody. He was legit going to kill him either way. It yeah, it just so happened that it was for a good cause because he was in the mood for some cold-blooded murder. Mm-hmm. And Wilf tells Flynn, I didn't think of the weight of murdering these people because I could never have imagined it. And he warns her, don't go over there unless you realize what you might have to do and you're at peace with it. Because he knows the showdown between these two is going to be nasty. And it's like a profound moment where you're like, he like knows shit's going to go down. And Uh he's like, I want you to be ready. Like you're going to go through some shit. So cut to Flynn walking to R.I. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Because of course she was going to walk into R.I. And this is like, like this entire scene I love the cold open with Grace and Alita and this final scene at R.I. I'm like in my happy place just thinking about it. Like, it's the best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Flynn enters R.I. and the receptionist is like, oh, what can I do for you? And Flynn's like, oh, have I been scammed? And she's like, of course. And she's like, that's all the assistance I'll need. And she's like, no, you need an appointment. I need to, like, wait, hold on, don't walk. <laughs> <laughs> Flynn is not having it with this lady. And she knew. She's like, as soon as she knows that I'm here, I'm gonna be talking to the person I need to talk to. Like, did you scan my face? Sounds great. That's all I need because this bitch is gonna show up in two seconds. And two seconds later... You clearly don't know who I am. Two seconds later, Charisse just stroll, like, evil stroll. She's got, like, weird MC Hammer pants on. And she is, like, walking. She's just strolling in and is like, I actually wrote down all the entire dialogue. Do you want to do it? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Who do you want to be in this dialogue? I shall. Oh, I was going to say I shall allow you to be Flynn, but maybe you want to be Sharice. How about your choice? I do want to be Sharice. I do want to be Sharice. She's so evil. Perfect. I do want to be Flynn. (laughs) This is, uh, we're the best podcasters. Therese, <laughs> <laughs> hmm, I assumed you'd be taller. I can only spare a minute, alas. So perhaps we ought to get straight down to business. How can I be of help? You mean, besides not killing me and my family? Well, exactly. Because that's rather non-negotiable. The fuck did I ever do to you? Sticky fingers, dear. You absconded with some rather vital data confused Flynn face. I love that you wrote that. Okay, keep going. Sorry, I didn't mean to break it. Just return it and all shall be forgiven. I didn't take shit from you. I played my game and died, got sent home, 
in game. So Elita West still has it. I don't know who the fuck has it. And quite frankly, I don't give a shit. I just need you to leave me and my family alone. You're either a lying or expendable in your ignorance. Either way, your death continues to be my only viable goal. Now, what makes you so certain I won't kill you? Right here. I mean, I'm not that careless, dear. Now, I'm in a peripheral of my own. Uh, that doesn't mean I can't deal you an awful lot of pain. Though I do imagine you'd pop right out of that thing at the first sign of trouble. And why would you say that? Now, you see, we got people like you where I'm from. Folks with power, money, they love to walk all over the rest of us. Not the kind to suffer through anything close to a real fight. I've lived through more extremity than you could possibly imagine. I would crush your tiny little mind. So please don't care to lecture me about pain. Oh, I don't want to lecture you. I just want to snap your fucking neck. And at this, Charisse grabs Flynn by the neck and starts, like, choking her out. And is like, she's like, this is just preparation for when I do it in real life. And then, like, Flynn, like, kicks her in the gut. And they fight. And there's flipping. And all sorts of crazy nonsense. This is the best fight scene so far. It's so good. It is so good. Because there's flips. And... I, what I really like about it is Chloe does such a good job. If you pay attention to Flynn's face throughout the scene, like when Charisse fights back, Flynn is like, oh shit, I'm outclassed. Right. This is not as easy as I thought it was going to be. And But she's like, no, I'm in a video game. I got this. I know how to fight in Sims. And so she like... Her face at certain points, like when Sharice is battling back, she's like, oh, fuck, dodge, dodge, don't get killed, don't get killed. And then she's like, no, I got this. And then like flips Sharice, grabs her by the neck and just goes, I've got a foothold in your world now. So next time I'm coming for you and like snaps her fucking neck, stands up and just walks out of our eye like a fucking badass. Chef's kiss. Amazing ending and uh, we've already said it but i'll say it again it's the open and the close were incredible we didn't need any of the bob <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm just not sure what's gonna come out of the rest of this episode and i mean that's okay that's okay you get to a point you know where bob couldn't have showed up at the beginning so even if he you know is important, it looks weird right when he comes in. So, well, I have loved the show thus far. This I think was the episode that I had the most issues with. I did expect there to be a lot more going on right after four, since that was such a huge world building dump. Aside from the cold open and the ending, like you could have, we didn't need the bowling alley scene. We didn't even need the scene where they introduce Pete slash Bob, where he like blows his cabinet up. Like we didn't need that. We just needed a random assassin to show up. There was no reason to give him a backstory, a, a daughter, a friend that he had to murder. Like unless he's coming back, that was the biggest waste of time I have seen in the TV show in a long time. Yeah. Yeah, so let's hope there is a point to it. And based on the stuff we've seen so far, I'm hopeful that there there is. Um, I don't know that anything that he does from here will justify 
everything we got in this episode. I just think this whole episode was heavy handed. It was quite heavy handed. Little too on the nose with, with some things. But again, I think it was worth sitting through the heavy handed middle portion just to get that cold open and that closing with the one, the Wilf and Flynn interactions and then Charisse and Flynn. So like this episode was pure gold when we got scenes between Grace and Alita, Wilf and Flynn, and then Flynn and Charisse. I mean, everything in 2100. The stuff in 2032 this time, though, was sloppy. That's, yeah, no, that is a very good point. 2100 was pure gold. 2032 was kind of horseshit. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was really uneven. And like I said before, I think that we have garnered the right to be a little pissy about an episode. And also, though, it stays in the back of your mind that now, I mean, there's only three left. We get, we got to get to some stuff. Yeah, and the episode's called What About Bob? Yeah, which I think just kind of shows like an incorrect focus in general. Yeah, there was like an incorrect focus on what we should be learning. Because we just, in episode four, we had just learned about the jackpot and how right. epic that was. And like the the visuals of that were just so amazing. And like, I thought we were going to have some time where Flynn was sitting and digesting that and trying to come to terms with that. But we got one flashback while she was sitting in the CT scanner. Right. And that was all that we got of the flash of the jackpot ramifications. Yeah. I don't think that time was well utilized, particularly in this episode. Hopefully they redeem themselves a bit. Granted, like, I cannot sing high enough praises for the 2100 stuff. Exactly, yeah. But hopefully when we go back to, or when we come back in the next episode, the 2032 stuff comes together in a way that makes sense for them to have spent the time on what they spent it on. In exactly, exactly. Instead of the characters that we really care about up to this point. But I'm super excited for episode six. That's every week. I'm super excited for the new episode because I'm just like, there's always some, even if it's not the best episode, like this episode wasn't by far the best episode, but everything in 2100 was so just like delicious to watch that I am so psyched for episode six. Yeah, it definitely in, in some ways was a feast when it was good. It was dead on and the 2032 storyline though was kind of like it fell flat for sure i agree all right cool did you want to do like review stuff oh we could totally do review stuff we got a bunch of really kind amazing reviews and uh, we just want to shout out our reviewers so on apple podcasts we would like to thank <laughs> sweaty gingit <laughs> <laughs> you know who you are <laughs> Authorized 57, Zaz Lover, and Todd Howard. And then on my podcast, my Android podcasting app, we had one review by Alicia CB. We really appreciate the reviews. They were all super sweet and super positive, and it made us feel very validated in the work we put into this podcast. And thank you very much. We actually just got a new one, too, that I will say, because it's from Calistar72. 
and it says dog's name, please. So, hey, guys, we can hear the dog. You may as well address it. (laughs) (laughs) Those are my dogs. (laughs) Those are mixed dogs, Opal and Sammy. I have a couple over here, too, but for some reason they have decided to be quiet. And I haven't heard them tonight, either. No, mine are asleep. Yeah, so say what they are real quick. Opal is mutt for the most part. <laughs> we have a bunch of rescue dogs, essentially. Yeah, we have we have rescue dogs. Opal is Samoyed, American Shepherd, Pitbull, and one other breed is the other primary. And then Sammy is a hundred percent Parson Russell Terrier that my mom found on the streets of Texas. And over here I have a yellow lab rescue. And a Manchester Terrier rescue, who during recording have decided for some reason they're going to be quiet. So we hope that is good information for you, Calistar72, on our dogs. And if not, find us on social and we'll be delighted to continue to talk about them. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you find our Twitters, there's plenty of dog pics. And if you ask for them, we will gladly provide more. 100%. And if you have some, we would also like to see them. Yeah, we are junkies for dog information, dog pics, dog deets, whatever it is. We love dogs, especially rescue dogs. Very good. So thank you everyone for listening and we'll see you soon.